welcome Hoosier fans to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most interesting topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 170th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 624th episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, May 21st, 2020. I'm your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud Banner Moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes the shot. The Hoosiers have won the national championship. This week's Banner Moment occurred on Tuesday when the latest APR numbers for the 2018-19 season were released. And like Will Sheehy against Purdue, Indiana was perfect, tallying an APR of 1,000. This marks the second straight APR report that has brought good news for Indiana under Archie Miller. The Hoosiers scored a 980 for the 2017-18 academic year, Archie Miller's first at the helm. So you may be wondering, why does this matter? Sure, it's nice to have a program that cares about academics, but will it actually affect what happens on the court? And the answer to that is unequivocally yes. First, NCAA tournament eligibility is tied to academic performance, as schools must maintain a four-year rolling APR of 930 or better. Second, transfers count against your APR score. Even if a player transfers in good academic standing, you still lose a point if that transfer comes during the academic year rather than the summer. Thus, if your score is hovering near the 930 mark, you may be unable to absorb a mid-year transfer, even if it's in the best interest of both parties. Well, as you may recall, Indiana was in quite the APR quagmire when Archie Miller took over. For the 2016-17 season, Tom Crean's final year at IU, the Hoosiers turned in a dismal 920 APR. The years prior hadn't been a lot better, due in large part to the high volume of transfers that we saw starting in 2014. In fact, Indiana's four-year rolling APR score was so low when Archie Miller took over that Indiana was in danger of being ineligible for NCAA tournament play. This undoubtedly limited Archie's options in terms of being able to execute any kind of roster turnover, as many coaches like to do when they take over a program. But with two years of his own data now in the books, Archie has improved Indiana's rolling APR to 959. And if current trends continue, Indiana's APR will be back up where it belongs after that 920 albatross is shaken off two years from now, which will mean that Indiana will be able to accept the NCAA tournament bids we all expect the Hoosiers to be earning, and they'll also have some flexibility in case a player or two decide to play elsewhere. When Archie took over the job, we all hoped that the Tom Crean roller coaster would be replaced by a cogent plan and a steady hand. Maybe results wouldn't be immediate, but hopefully success would maintain once it arrived. We're still waiting on the on-court results, but just as with Indiana's rebuilt in-state recruiting, Indiana's ever-improving APR score is yet another example that a firm foundation is being laid to sustain whatever level of winning Archie Miller is ultimately able to reach. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-host for this week's show. Ryan is not with us this week, but to my left. He remembers the days when a movie cost a dollar. Heaven help you if you ever decide to pop your collar. Play hard, but remember fake hustle is a crime. He's the coach and it's Tonsoni time. You can mischaracterize that all you want, chat mobbers. Coach, what's on your mind? Well, you know, this was a, a nice off week because there were several uh, nice articles and podcasts and some information that came out about basketball, so we're not really searching uh, for, for some things to talk about. But Christian Lander re- reclassifying 
and finally being official is is nice to see. We all kind of knew it was going to happen and, and was in the works, but until it's official, it, it's it's not official. That, that's a great insight there. Um, but it really helps Indiana because talent uh, is nice in a basketball program. And the question will be, what can he bring to the Indiana basketball program? And in the community, I did a short video um, using some of his highlights. It's obvious the pace uh, of his play in transition is something I think he can really bring to Indiana uh, and his vision. And he's very aggressive, uh, it seems, on the break. Can he uh, bring that to the next level? He can shoot it a little bit, even though his shot is, is a little bit low. Uh, he has ways of getting his shot open, and then, you know, he just has basketball instincts. And anytime you get a five-star player, you're going to get a good contributor. The question is, he is a young five-star player uh, and needs to gain some strength and in an offseason that is opening up some but still in question, can he get in and get the reps that are needed to be as productive as possible? But there's no doubt that the Christian Lander thing makes Indiana basketball a lot better. And, and you know, Archie Miller spoke with Evan Daniels and was talking about his plan, and that's the second piece. You talked about the APR, you know, and the recruiting is doing it. Now it just needs to be done on, on the court. It's nice to see this recruiting and the stay old, get old start to uh, materialize. And then you want guys that are tough and, and good players. And Will Sheehy had a good article in Inside the Hall where he talked about the amount of crap talk that he liked to do, and he that was his role. And, and we're starting to see guys uh, more like that and more fitting the Archie Miller mode. And so Christian Lander coming just fills that 12th spot and, and makes Indiana the best it possibly can be going into next season. All righty. And to my right. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. Fun, fun, fun. I am not a roller coaster person. Andy, what is your bottoms line on the last week in Indiana basketball? Well, I think it, it dovetails well with what, what you guys have talked about, and that's with, that with the addition of Lander, uh, you've started to see IU creep into some of the uh, top 25 early, you know, way too early, whatever they're, whatever they're called, top 25s. Uh, Gary Parrish uh, on CBS moved them to, uh, I believe, 21st uh, by adding Lander. Jeff Porzello at ESPN moved him to 23rd. I think they're 27th in Jeff Goodman's. Uh, took quite a rise in, in Bart Torvik up to 11th, I believe, up from, uh, I think it might be 12th now. I think they were 17th. So about five spots. It seems like that's about how much, you know, they moved up a little bit, which I think is reasonable, but but hopefully doesn't overset the expectation for Lander. You know, I feel like we've talked about that a lot. Uh, easy to look at a guy with his recruiting pedigree and rankings and all those things. Um, but you got to remember, he is a guy that should be a, you know, high school senior and, uh, it, while it will, uh, without a doubt, help raise the talent level, gives you a playmaker, a distributor. Uh, as Coach talked about, he highlighted a lot in his, his Coach's Corner video, a lot of the good things that he'll bring to the table. Uh, I think that kind of bump is warranted, but not uh, doesn't put maybe undue pressure on him. And I think when you look at uh, the situation that he's walking into, uh, I think the natural comparison is to a guy like Romeo or something like that. You know, I think the support system and the foundation of of guys who have been in the system is is vastly different even after a couple of years. So I think it just further uh, raises expectations, although hopefully not to a an outlandish level. But I think it does make you look, and, and we talked about some of the Big Ten, the tiering, uh, you know, does that help push IU toward the top of that second tier? I think that's reasonable 
does it push him into the first tier? Maybe not. Um, but I think it's, it's good. And, and just another step from an expectation standpoint of, of what, uh, we can look forward to with this team when, whenever it is that the season, uh, gets going in whatever form or fashion it will. So, uh, I think, you know, looking at some of the national voices, uh, maybe at least makes some of us feel a little bit better, uh, about, you know, being optimistic about this team. And, uh, you know, you guys talked a lot with Bart, uh, on, podcast on the brink a little while ago uh and so i think he, his brings an analytical bent to it that uh you know again hopefully it, it helps to make you think you're not just being overly optimistic that other people are seeing some of the same things and and then iu fans will just take that just a little bit of a step further uh <laughs> to become overly optimistic but uh good to get that recognition and uh exciting to officially have him in the fold absolutely all right uh so here is what is coming this week on assembly call radio we've got some some college hoops headlines and some you know indiana university headlines that we've got to talk about because they're going to affect or potentially could affect when college basketball gets back going then we're going to do our al durham off-season deep dive we're going to answer your questions and for those of you watching live we have a chat mob induction tonight a very appropriate one for al durham night all of that coming this week on assembly call radio before we get to that a few quick announcements Continue to support our friends over at homefieldapparel.com. You can use the promo code ASSEMBLY20 to get 20% off your order over there. They just released some fleece sweatpants. They're made out of the same material as the bison hoodie. Currently, you can get them with the home field uh, logo emblazoned on them, but it's kind of a test, and if it goes well, then they're going to start rolling them out uh, to different schools. Um, so I've heard that those are really comfortable. I haven't gotten them myself, but uh, you can certainly get that over there, plus all of the shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, everything that they have. Uh, from their IU collection, go to homefieldapparel.com and again, use that promo code assembly20. And then remember that if you want to support a local food bank, go to foodpantries.org or feedingamerica.org and you will be able to find a food bank in your area <clears throat> that you can support. All right, guys, let's talk about some interesting headlines. Feels like there have been a lot of headlines just in the last 24 hours, you know, affecting what we may or may not see on the court this November. Uh, we'll start with this one. Uh, and Brett McMurphy was, I believe, the first one to report this for Stadium, but that is that the proposed one-time transfer waiver, uh, uh, waiver has been tabled until the 2021-22 season. They're actually going to vote on it in January of 2021. So there had been a lot of talk that that rule would be changed heading into this season and that guys who had already announced their intention to transfer might be eligible automatically this year without a waiver. That will not be the case. Now, guys can still go through the waiver process, and some of those transfers, Demise Anderson, for example, if he can get a waiver, he'll be able to play immediately. If not, he'll have to sit out a year at Loyola Chicago, as has been the custom for a long time. So that is going to be tabled. Uh, Andy, any thoughts on that? And are there any transfers you know, nationally or in the conference that you could see this you know, affecting and having a big impact you know, on the race next year? I don't know. I, I've sad that I've forgotten over a week of some of the transfers that they're still waiting on. I know, you know, Michigan just picked up a guy from uh, wake forest, you know, maybe he uses yeah. the coaching change, stuff like that. Um, I, you know, I, I think it's difficult no matter what, I, this is going to be a tough pill for the NCAA to swallow if, and when they actually do it with, with letting this go. Uh, I think this off season, in some ways would have been a good one to do it because of everything that's going on. But in others, you know, maybe you're trying to, in their eyes, protect people from, you know, making a decision. Cause you think you can be eligible right away when you're really not able to go through dependent upon where you're trying to go, the actual, you know, normal process of, of really vetting what school you want to go to. And, 
and different things like that. So I, there, the, the skeptical, uh, part of me says that this is just kind of kicking the can down the road further. And there's really not a great intention to, to be able, um, to really do some of those things. So I think that's a, a potential, but, uh, a little bit, you know, a little bit tough to say. I don't know that there's any big names in the, in the big 10. I don't know if no gel Eastern was going to even try to go that route. Um, going to go or if to michigan. michigan even knows that he's transferring to michigan that's uh, apparently up in the air <laughs> so well these things are these things are unclear um but yeah i don't i don't know that there were a ton of impact guys that were um that are sitting out uh at least as i kind of scanned down the list that i had put together last week so i'm not sure that it impacts the big 10 race in a huge way and we'll see what happens uh eventually if this ever even comes to pass the other big news that, that we saw is we finally started to get some information on when players are going to be allowed to work out. So the NCAA, you know, had had a blanket, you know, kind of a rule in place or a moratorium on guys being able to work out. They are lifting that on June 1st. So essentially men's basketball, uh, football, women's basketball, those student athletes will be able to participate in voluntary on-campus workouts beginning June 1st. Now that could still be subject to conference rules. That's going to be subject to, you know, state, you know, laws and what the states are doing, subject to what the universities are doing. But Indiana soon thereafter followed up, and this was earlier in the day on Thursday, uh, and basically said that athletes will be in training by mid-June. Uh, the student body will return in some proportion by the fall semester. You know, and basically there's nothing real definitive here, but what it does show, Coach, is steps are obviously being taken, just like in the general population. You know, we're seeing steps being taken sports-wise to get guys back able to work out. And I think a big part of the reason why they did this is because a lot of the states are opening up, you know, just general gym facilities. I think the NCA and the school said, well, if the players are going to just be going and playing anywhere, let's at least let them be here where it can be a little bit more closely monitored. But, you know, especially with what Indiana released, what President McRobbie released, you know, it really sounds like they've got a plan in place for testing, for getting people back and for, you know, again, having at least a partial student body in the fall. So it's still way too early to kind of know for certain what's going to happen because there's a lot of time between now and then and things could happen. But this is probably the most positive, optimistic, just sequence of news reports we've gotten that, you know, who knows when football will start, but certainly from a basketball perspective, that things look like they could, you know, be on schedule come the fall. And we'll just have to wait and see. But good news, nonetheless. Yeah, you know, and as from a coaching perspective, it's good news to be able to get in the gym with your guys. The the concern of mine is let's do it safely. And, and you know, we just need a, a common voice uh, of what that means, whether that's, you know, the NCAA, which sometimes doesn't have, you know, good reasoning or good rules by, by themselves. But we just need a, a, to, to make sure the athletes are safe, uh, their families are safe, and, and those plans are in place. And I do think, you know, here in the state of Indiana, they've opened up uh, stuff. Uh, whether that's the right thing or the wrong thing is, is not really for us to discuss, I guess, on this show. But uh, So groups of 100 or less, well, you, you know, basketball, I think, is really in good shape, guys, with the fact that you need probably about 20, 25 guys in a practice facility uh, to 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 get workouts and things. Now that might ramp up when you when you get to game time and, and scorekeepers and things of that nature. But it is a step in the right direction for those of us who want uh, sports back. Uh, it's just something that I am very cautious about because I want sports back. I, I don't want to take uh, three steps forward uh, and then you know two steps backwards to to where we're at. Uh, that that does. Uh, concern me, but uh, if everyone's going to be open, let's go and, and get Christian Lander in here and let's uh, 
get, get to work uh, in what should be a, a fun season. Yeah, it, look, it's clear that there is a balance here of financial considerations and health considerations, just like in, you know, in what the overall economy is doing. Um, you know, because, I mean, Andy, if there's no students on campus, you know, universities are going to go bankrupt. And if, you know, sports aren't able to be played, athletic departments are going to go bankrupt. And so, obviously, the safest thing for everybody is to be hermetically sealed in houses until there's treatment, until there's a vaccine. But obviously, you know, a lot of good things happened over eight weeks to kind of flatten the curve and to to just kind of get things to a manageable level. And so now it seems like some of these things are opening up. And so if we can all handle that responsibly, you know, then hopefully we can prevent maybe some kind of big, you know, bounce back happening. I think that's the concern is you don't want everybody to let their guard down, you know, athletes and in the general community. But if everybody can handle this responsibly, then it does. These to me seem like very reasonable steps to try and get us back to some level of normalcy, which we need because lives are being affected, you know, going the other direction too. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's, I don't know how many times over the course of all this that I've said around the house, like, I don't know what the right thing to do is in this scenario. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's uncharted and, and you don't really you know, putting yourself in those positions. I know even in our offices, they're just starting to even have conversations about what does it look like to bring people back to work? And then you really start to go through all the different considerations that you have to have and all the different little nuances that you've taken for granted. How do you do those things in a, in a safe way? And how do you figure those things out? So I'm sure that the university and the, the colleges have, have people trying to figure out the best ways that they can, uh, to, to limit any spread of anything, to be able to contain it, to know who was where and, um, and have the adequate amount of testing. And so you just, uh, you know, have to trust in the folks that are there, that they're you know, making the right decisions. Uh, as you said, trying to balance all the different facets of it as, as you go and, um, using what information they have to make what is the most responsible decision for all involved and having plans in place for, you know, as coach said, Hey, if this doesn't go the way that we hope it will, what do we do then? And I think that's, I think that's often the hard part. It's easy to come up with the plan of like, Oh, let's open this stuff up. Okay. Well, what is the plan if that doesn't work? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I, I think there, you have to think in this scenario, there's been enough due diligence to be done because they want the ultimate goal of it is they want everybody to stay healthy. They want to be able to play the game. So as long as they've taken the right steps to understand what all that, that means and what those contingency plans look like, then um, you feel good about it and you move forward and uh, and just kind of trust everybody is doing the right thing and keeping everybody's best interest at heart. And then the other thing to kind of pay attention to is it appears that a lot of the schools are going to kind of condense the academic calendar and try to get a lot of things done before Thanksgiving. So that will be interesting to see how that affects you know, if basketball games even have attendance when that comes around, but how that affects attendance at home games, things like that, if the student body is out of there after Thanksgiving and then kind of have a longer Christmas break just to reduce the amount of time everybody's there together, which again, seems like a smart safeguard. That's, that'll be something to watch out for uh, as we get a little bit closer to basketball. But nonetheless, certainly this week was, like I said, the, the best sequence of news that we've seen uh, that, you know, we, we may be able to get back to playing sports soon, which I think we would all uh, enjoy if it can be done safely. All right. Coming up, we are going to talk about Al Durham. The senior guard enters his final season with a legit chance to reach a thousand points. What should we expect from him as he prepares to lead the deepest roster that he's been a part of? We're going to break that down next. Stick with us on the assembly call.
Is QuickBooks slowing your business down? Do you have challenges managing inventory, project profitability, or just getting paid fast enough? Get your business to a better place and graduate to NetSuite today. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software you've outgrown. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything you need, all in one place, instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions in revenue, save time and money with NetSuite. Join the over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. Let NetSuite show you how they'll benefit your business with a free product tour at netsuite.com info. Schedule your free product tour right now at netsuite.com info, netsuite.com info. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player fine. Hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than handing a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrate it with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on Assembly Call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. Thank you, Romeo. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. You can find all of our content at our website, assemblycall.com. And if you ever want to join the chat mob during our unedited live broadcasts, chat mobbers, or watch those replays and see all the between-segment banner, then check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash assemblycall. All right, I'm Jared Morris. I'm here with Andy Bottoms and the coach, Brian Tonsoni. Uh, and guys, we got this question uh, from JD. He said, I'd love to hear your perspective on Al Durham's career so far, given his recruiting rankings, your initial evaluations of him, et cetera. And so I thought we can use that question as a jumping off point for our offseason kind of deep dive into Al Durham. And, you know, it really got me thinking about the paradox of Al's career at Indiana, because for the 230th ranked recruit and a three-star recruit, he has overachieved, full stop. Like, his numbers, he has overachieved. He's played in 97 out of 98 games, and he started 71 of them. He's improved his three-point percentage and his free-throw percentage each season. Last season, he had career highs in points per game, assists per game, and rebounds per game. Points per game, he was 9.8, so almost a double-digit score. He has now scored 742 points in his career, so he needs just 258 for 1,000. That's only 8.1 points per game over 32 games, which is less than he scored as a sophomore, which seems very likely if he's healthy. And this stat just kind of blew my mind for how unique he was as an offensive player last year. Since 2008, he is one of only two Big Ten players to play a minimum of 50% of his team's minutes and have a usage rate of at least 19%. So, you know, a guy who plays a lot and, and uses a decent chunk of possessions the, one of only two players to shoot at least 39% from three and 82% from the free throw line with a free throw rate of 50 plus in conference play. The other was Andre Hollins of Minnesota in 2014. You know, so that combination of three point accuracy, being able to get to the free throw line and make free throws, you just don't see that very often. And yet, you know, even with all of that said, for a school like Indiana, a player of Al's overall skill set especially defensively, has played too many minutes during the first three years of his career. You know, he played more minutes as a freshman and sophomore than Greg Graham did, just to give you some perspective. And a big part of that, obviously, is because he has played on rosters 
that just haven't had a lot of, of experience and talent at the guard position. You know, his defense also hasn't been great. His defensive rating has been the team's worst or second worst every season of his career, and he was a net negative, you know, if you look at his offensive rating and his defensive rating, until last season. So that's the paradox. He's been good, really good when graded on a curve of where he was as a recruit, but he hasn't been good enough to win at the level IU fans want to win at, Coach. And so, you know, that is kind of the paradox is it's not really a fault of his. He's done everything you can ask of him. He's just been put in a position to probably play too many minutes to fulfill the expectations that Indiana fans have. So I say all of that, you know, to get both your guys' initial th- thoughts on his career, but also kind of what he needs to do to take the next step now as a senior, leading what is obviously the most talented roster he's been a part of. Yeah, you have a lot of interesting things there uh, about L. And one, appreciate his work ethic. You know, everything I hear, he's in the gym working on it. His increased statistics show that he has really put a lot into his game, and that's what we want for Indiana basketball players. So, you know, that's the kind of guy that you really can build on. He he does struggle defensively, but he's also been asked to play some point guard, which probably is not his ideal position, and that's that roster makeup that uh, – just by adding uh, another point guard might be able to alleviate uh, some things and put him in better positions uh, offensively and defensively. He, he is not the best at closing out. His, his, his feet are, are messed up a lot on direct drives, but maybe if he guards a two or even maybe some three if he can, that that's more likely for him to have success on that defensive end that, that you mentioned. But, you know, he's the type of guy that you like to have as a senior. If if your senior is one of your harder workers, he's going to pass that on to the new uh, recruits that come into the program. And I'm not sure he's in a position to be like um, others where the responsibility for production is going to fall on L next year. I think L needs to make his game consistent. And if his numbers drop because there's more options and more time for others, that's okay. He needs to be consistent in his offensive game, and he needs to be consistent in his defensive game. He had some really great games. You go back and watch film, and it's really nice to see, but other times he went away. And if he can make that leap, uh, then then he will be a good member of that uh, eight-man, nine-man main rotation that leads Indiana back to the NCAAs and, and a good season. I don't think he needs to be the main guy. He'd be in position of that in a lot of teams. But I think, again, to keep expectations at a moderate level, just stay where you're at and be consistent would be a really uh, good uh, thing for Indiana basketball. Andy? Yeah, I mean, for, from my perspective, I think I, I agree with what Coach said, that this year really sets up to be a good one for him because he's put the work in and he's really finally in a position where I don't know that there are, you know, you've got, if you assume Rob's healthy, you assume Lander's there. I mean, at best, Al is the the third guy that you're calling on to be an initiator, of a ball handler, whatever. And as we've you know talked about, spot up shooting is something he's been effective at. He has been a uh, a decent driver, and that's allowed him to get to the free throw line. But the way he's worked on his shot and got better there to shoot close to forty percent, you put him in a situation where he's able to do what he's best equipped to do. Uh, I think it really sets up well for him to be a good complimentary player, uh, to provide that leadership. Um, and I think that, you know, it just, the pieces are kind of falling into place for him. It's, it's funny as you were describing some of the you know usage numbers or things like that, that he's had over his first few years comparative to his recruiting ranking, 
a guy that I thought of, and this doesn't really compare from a recruiting ranking standpoint, because I think there was a pretty wide gap between where these guys were ranked. But if you think about Verdell Jones, the first few years of what he was kind of asked to do with Crean, um, again, I don't think they're really very similar players at all, but just in terms of being asked to do maybe more than what you, what is best for you. Um, it kind of strikes me as that. And so I think because of the way the roster composition was, you had some of the APR things that you talked about in the, in the opening, like Al's been thrust into a position to probably do more early in his career than maybe was reasonable to expect. And I think he's responded in a lot of situations to that. Um, so I think that's a positive and I think he's, you know, has been a guy, the kind of guy that you really want to see really grow and evolve through four years. If there's a guy that you want to look at and say, Hey, Archie's helped this guy get better. Again, I think a lot of credit goes to Al for his work ethic and all the things we talked about, but he is a guy who has evolved and gotten better at certain things. And, uh, and like I said, I'm excited for what his senior year can be because I think it's the best positioned he is to, to do the things that, um, you can expect from him and, and are going to put him in a, a position to really be successful and effective. I like the Al Verdell comparison. Their offensive games are like photo negatives of each other because Verdell was mid range. Absolutely, and Al is literally nothing and about it is the same, other than <laughs> yes. The but it expect- makes a lot of sense. Other than the role they were asked to play, not really being the one that was best for them. Yeah. Yes, you know, and it's interesting. I mean, it's you know, coach. Obviously, you know, Rob Fennessy is entrenched as your point guard. Like you're going into the next season, he's the guy with the ball in his hands. You need him as a junior to step up. You know, I mean, Trace Jackson Davis is the sun around which everything else is going to orbit, and that's how it should be. You know, and so you start figuring out where the other parts and pieces are falling, and it's really easy. You start making these lineups. Well, then, you know, you're going to pair Lander with Finnessy, and then hopefully Jerome Hunter can play the three, and then you've got Race Thompson, and, you know, what about Armand Franklin playing defense? And it's easy for Al to get a little bit lost in the shuffle. And yet, you know, to me, when Archie Miller starts looking at putting his lineups together, and who he trusts, you know, a senior who has been through the battles. And I'll tell you the one thing that we saw at the end of last year that impressed me so much. And, you know, longtime listeners are nodding their heads because they know what I'm about to say. You know, but when you talk about the roles guys can play, I mean, who's the closer on this team right now if you had to pick one? It's Al Durham. You know, I mean, he really showed an aptitude for working off of screens at the end of last year. He wanted shots in big, in big situations. He made them. You know, he was able to drive and get to the free throw line and make his free throws. You know, so you're telling me in close games at nut cutting time, Archie Miller's going to take his best three point shooter and free throw shooter off the court. Like, I don't see it. Like, I think Christian Lander's going to get plenty of minutes and you're going to have to find a way for Jerome Hunter to play. But I have a real hard time thinking that Al's going to be playing less than 24 minutes at a minimum. And I think there's a good chance you see him play 26, 27, 28 minutes a game because of how important the outside shooting is, how important having a guy who can get to the free throw line is, and the experience. You know, so I you start making lineups and it's real hard to make lineups without him in them that makes sense. And on a roster this talented, that really is a testament to how hard he's worked offensively and the growth that he showed even within the season last year. Yeah, and trust is a huge part of of a coach player you know, relationship and, and trust on the floor. And, and if you're one of the hardest workers, you're going to be trusted in, in key moments of play. And that's, you know, and then going back to your, your, your lineups. And when I talk about consistency with Al Durham, it's execution. It's the basketball stuff. It's never effort. I don't know that I've ever questioned uh, Al Durham taking a, a day off. I don't know. We all have 
times where we let up in everything that we do, but he's not one that I think of had a bad offensive night and, and affected his defense or, you know, he's having a bad two minutes, so it becomes a bad four minutes. He's not that guy. He just needs to make sure he's taking the good shots, he's making good decisions with the basketball, and he's guarding better. That consistency of X's and O's. But, yes, and the interesting thing is when you have a team that has good depth, quality depth, and a lot of people pushing people, you, you might not see more minutes from L, but it's what quality minutes, when does uh, Archie use him, and for what does he use him. And then the other thing I think that we all need to look at, is he going to be the two or is he going to play some three? That three and four, you know, there's a lot of questions about who's going to be that that number three in a traditional one, two, three, four, five lineup. Can Al slip down there and then go with those three guards uh, and a couple posts? That's going to be interesting to see the, the the variety of lineups. But yeah, Al's going to be a valuable player. But we might not see his stats go up or his minutes go up, and that's okay. I don't think we need Al to do that. We just need him to be that senior leader to hold everyone to to the right. Um, you know, message and the right way to play. You know, and, and the other thing too on that point with more depth is, and look, this has been a criticism of Al is that there are games offensively where he's just not very aggressive, you know, against bigger teams, against more physical teams. Hopefully that's something as he gets older and more physical himself that, that just happens less and less because a lot of times that is something you see with guys, but it also is may just kind of be part of his personality. If he feels uncomfortable in a game or a situation, he doesn't quite assert himself. Well, now there's other guys on the bench that can take a spot, you know, so he'll have that kind of extra motivation to perhaps help kind of keep him motivated, you know, not motivated, but with that attacking mentality that he needs to have because he's going to give up some stuff on defense. He's got to make up for it offensively. And, you know, last year he did. He was a net positive last year. And Andy, as you start to look at, you know, it's fun this time of year to start breaking down where minutes going to come from, what are usage rates going to be, stuff like that. I think what's really interesting is to look at what Devontae Green takes with him. You know, he used 27% of possessions last year, which is a high number and certainly matches the idea. You're, you're not Devontae. telling people anything they don't know, <laughs> yeah. but okay, continue. I know. I know. But Devontae played 22 minutes per game. He took 9.7 field goal attempts per game, scored 10.8 points per game. You know, that's fine. Al Durham last year, 19.2% usage in 26 minutes. On 6.6 field goal attempts per game, he scored 9.8. <clears throat> the only person who was more efficient at turning field goal attempts into points was Trace Jackson Davis. So the question here is, you know, with what Devontae is taking, who's going to fill that up? And it's really easy to say, well, you know, Christian Lander's probably going to play 22 minutes a game. And I would not argue with that. I think they're good. You know, I think Christian Lander's going to find a way, especially by the end of the year, to be playing a lot of minutes. But, you know, Jerome Hunter gets talked about a lot, and we all have high hopes for him, but he's not a guy who really showed any consistency last year. Same thing with Armand Franklin. You know, showed some things defensively, offensively was up and down. You know, as I kind of, as you look at the known quantities on this team, Andy, if there were anybody that you would say, based on his offensive efficiency, that you would want to see maybe use a few more possessions, get a few more shots, it would be Al. Now, you know, the difficult part about that is some guys, as their usage goes up, their efficiency goes down, and that could happen with Al. But that's the thing I think that he showed me last year offensively is you really found yourself wanting him to be more aggressive, whereas other guys, you kind of wanted him to back off a little bit. And so that's what's going to be interesting to see is there are some more mouths to feed, but you don't want to overlook the guy that is really proving that he can be an efficient option offensively. So how does Archie manage that? You know, where do those minutes get split up? And is Al ready to take on more of a usage role, or is he just comfortable as a guy right around that 19, 20% you know, spot? 
those aren't questions that we can answer, but do you have any guesses on how that might go? I definitely I agree with a lot of what you said before. It it does feel hard to take a guy who has discernible things that this team needs uh, from a three point shooting and a, and a free throw shooting standpoint, and say I need to see less of that guy as a senior who also has that experience level that other guys simply don't have. Um, and so, I, while I don't think just given all the other mouths to feed, there would be a huge jump in those numbers. I think as you're slicing up that pie of what Devante had, I think it would also be equally silly to believe that he doesn't get a little bit of that, uh, particularly with just having more playmakers around him. I mean, I go back to, you know, watching some of what, uh, you know, coach put together on Lander and some of the other things, just in terms of him being able to create shots for other guys. Uh, I think Al's gotten a lot better at being able to use screens and, uh, you know, kind of flare himself out to the wing to get open for shots you know, with other guys who are more gravitational, whether that be Trace or Lander or you know, hopefully a healthy fantasy, uh, Al becomes a guy that is easy to potentially forget about defensively uh, and really can find some some clean looks. So, you know, I even if his shot percentage and usage rate doesn't doesn't shoot up a ton, I think the quality of the looks he's going to get probably will, and maybe that's just as important. Uh, in that way so I, I don't know that in the absence of an injury to a fantasy or somebody like that you see a huge jump in those but I do think the quality of them is different and I think you can see upticks in a little bit of those numbers um, I, I certainly don't know that you you know playing him whatever he was 66 percent of minutes last year to me falling off of that in any substantial way just seems completely unlikely uh, is it equally unlikely that maybe he gets over 70% of the minutes? Maybe. Um, but I think he's in a good sweet spot. And, and like I said, I think he's in a position to really benefit, you, you know, probably have, you know, one notch down the, the rung of defenders on the other team that's going to be guarding you. When, you know, I think a lot of things as a domino effect of having Lander or if Jerome Hunter takes a step or if, if whatever, I mean, I think he becomes even though to your point, he's one of your more efficient, like he probably becomes from a defensive standpoint, the third, fourth guy that you're really looking at defensively. And I think he can take advantage of those situations. So I agree, you know, I agree with all that to play devil's advocate coach. You know, we've talked about some of Al's defensive shortcomings and certainly when Indiana wants to put its best defensive lineup on the floor, that's not going to include Al, you know, Al is out there to score points. It, it just, you know, there are other guys that are physically going to be better defensively. Trey Galloway, you know, even though he doesn't know the system, maybe a guy who's ready to even be a better defender from day one, though he won't be anywhere near as good offensively as Al is. But the other thing that's important to mention is Al struggled at times his sophomore year playing with Romeo Langford, you know, because, Ro I mean, you know, Romeo was such a good player and he sucked up so much oxygen offensively, he and Juwan together. And everything was clogged up. And so for Al, he basically just turned into a spot-up shooter. He didn't have lanes to drive. He didn't have opportunities to drive. And you would almost see him kind of be freed when Romeo was off the court. And we saw more of that guy at the end of last year. How do you think Christian Lander affects that? Because I don't think Lander is going to come in and have the immediate impact of Romeo and be that ready from day one. But clearly, he's the most talented guard on the roster. You know, and so for all the great things that we're saying about Al, you know, he is still a guy with with limitations. And if you're stacking people up by talent, he's not one of your five best players. 
So that is important to kind of mention, you know, in balance here. And that is certainly something that we could see, you know, play out through the season. If Al has a shooting slump, if he's not as aggressive as we want him to be, you know, so is, is that a potential concern that Lander, even if he comes in, doesn't play as many minutes early on, but that, you know, that kind of hurts Al's rhythm a little bit as it felt like it did at times his sophomore year. Yeah, I've I've said last few weeks I'm trying to keep um, my expectations moderate, but I think Lander helps everyone. I, I think Lander makes Rob better for a variety of reasons in practice, pushing him for time. Two, I'm really interested in seeing two ball handlers uh, run transition. If anyone gets the outlet can go, and the other can spot up and score. And I think anytime we can get L out in transition, that gets him more on the move to the basket, gets him fouled. I think, uh, and and then also. If if Lander uh, and I think Rob's a really good point guard, but if Lander can also be a point guard, then we'll never have a point guard not in there reading screens and having Al come off screens like he did uh, later. So I, I think Lander elevates everyone because he's a threat to 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 run. He's a threat to pass. He's a threat to shoot, which stretches the floor even for TJD. More weapons, the better. And and I know that he's young, and there's a lot of concern in the chat mob about him only playing. 14, 15 minutes, he's going to play 20-plus minutes early. You don't bring in a five-star who reclassifies. Uh, and, and if he is playing 13 or 14, then it is a really big jump for him. But I think he's coming to play, and I think Archie's having him come to play. And I think he elevates everyone. So it might mean less minutes and less usage, but it's going to be in better positions for all of these guys. And I, that's what I'm hoping for. Maybe that's rose-colored glasses, but um, I think that that dimension that he brings is just going to free up a lot of people, including L. And I expect L to have a similar season to his junior year, which might even be better, given the fact that there's so much, so many people who could take those, uh, you know, the usage and the shots. Andy, final thoughts on Al Durham and what you do, you know, ultimately expect from him next season. Like I said, I I think. He he stands to you know one of the things I think you had in the notes here is how many points he needs to get to a thousand. I think it was what eight points a game, something like that. Yeah, roughly eight a game. I don't know where that's at. That's somewhere in the in in your research in my research packet here that you've put together. But uh, I, I think eight point one points per game. Um, so I, I think that is more than attainable and and would be a really great honor for a guy that, uh, as you said. Uh, you know, maybe we are grading him on a curve, but I think he's really one that has, based on work ethic and his enthusiasm for the game, really endeared himself to IU fans. Uh, and I think you hope to see recruiting ranking aside, you what you want to see and what everybody's projecting forward with the way that Archie's recruiting is like having these kinds of four year guys that you grow with and evolve with. Uh, and and to me, it's exciting to be able to think about you know his senior season. Ideally, you want that to be your best. It isn't for everybody, but I think it really things set up well uh, from a role perspective for him. And uh, he's just been a fun guy to to really watch. And uh, while he missed out on his chance to go to the NCAA tournament last year, um, he's a guy that that seems to me will come back even hungrier to get back as a senior. And uh, and really excited to see him hopefully flourish in in the role that's going to be there for him this year uh, compared to other roles that he may have had to shoehorn himself into in, in prior years. Yeah. All righty. Coming up in our third segment, we are going to answer your questions as we always do. We've got a few Al Durham over-unders that we're going to go over. And then we got a question about Archie Miller's coaching history. Has he had a player like Christian Lander before? And does that offer any insight into how he may use it? Stick with us. We'll hit that next.
You know, one thing I was thinking about, and this is a completely half-baked idea, so forgive me if it, A, comes out wrong and B, is dumb. <laughs> but that's what we do here in between segments, right? Time for half-baked ideas. But it is, it's interesting to me the dichotomy and fan reaction to Al Durham and Justin Smith. You know, and I wonder how much of that is based on, you know, kind of the curve they're graded on based on their recruit ranking, you know, because Al was 230th, the three-star Justin Smith was, you know, what, 75th, something like that as a four-star. Obviously, I think part of it is just their demeanor on the court, you know, where I think, you know, sometimes people see Justin maybe not going as hard as they want or being as demonstrative as they want, and it feels like he's leaving something on the table, or at least that's the general fan perception, where the perception of Al Durham is that he's maximizing, you know, what he has. And it's just interesting to me the different ways that fans react to them and have reacted to them over three years, even though their overall production is really similar, if not Justin a little bit more productive overall. Now, part of that is playing more minutes. I just find that interesting. What To what do you guys attribute that? And is that even like a fair statement for me to make? I think it's interesting. I think maybe it's somewhat recruiting related, but I, I think people look at Al and see a guy who is getting just about all he can get out of his ability level and you know, has kind of overshot what he has. And I think they see Justin as a guy and I, I probably put myself in this category, so I'm not trying to project this onto other people, but uh, I think they see a guy who hasn't gotten as much out of his ability as he, as he could have. Uh, I don't know if that's fair or unfair, but you see the flashes with Justin Smith, but it's inconsistent. And, you know, you, the course he's been on and said, you know, if he says, I want to be the best defensive player in the big 10, he could do it. Um, there are probably a million reasons why that hasn't happened. Who knows whether it'll happen this year. Um, but I think that's the difference. And I think that's the kind of uh, scrappiness, whatever you want to say that I, that the IU wants to get is the guy who's like, Oh, you know, punching above his weight class and doing those kinds of things. And, and maybe another guy who um, hasn't gotten the most out of his ability. I don't know if that's, Fair or not, but that's what I would attribute it to. What do you think, Coach? I also think reputations get set in stone, and so when you watch a game and you see something, you're more likely to look for Justin having a taking a player two off. Cognitive Al, bias, man. Yeah. If yeah. Okay, quit using fancy words. You know, you got to be at my level, Jared. Um, but um, I, I think sometimes you know we all take, like I said, every player takes a playoff, or every every player has a turnover and jogs back down the floor, but I think we all recognize Justin a heck of a lot more. So I think in being fair to Justin, which I have not been over the years, I think that has to be recognized too. But I, I do think it's the fact that, you know, Justin is constantly mentioned as our best defensive player, yet he'll get blown up on a screen or I, I can't – the coach's corner thing I put together uh, a, a while back on guarding the ball, he was out of position and a step late and – you know, if you're going to be anointed the best, then you need to be a real consistent at being the best. And and just the inconsistency on offense, too. Uh, we all like to watch offense, so we like Al better because he can score. And Justin struggles, you know, uh, at, at the rim at, from the three-point line. So I think that adds to the to that reputation, too. Um, but Al's a hard worker. And I think Indiana basketball fans appreciate real hard workers who play as hard as they possibly can, even when they're struggling. And I think that's Al Durham. Um, and, and not every player is like that, and it doesn't make uh, a Justin Smith bad, but we, we really honor those uh, kids, uh, kids, young men who come in and lay it on the line, and I don't think you can say that Al Durham doesn't lay it on the line every time he plays uh, for the most part. 
Um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I think that's the difference there. Do you really think, do you really think you've been unfair to Justin or is that like, 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 what do you think has been unfair? I'm, I'm just curious. Cause I, I know that is something that we say sometimes kind of like a blanket cover your ass statement, but like, what, yeah, what do you really, well, it might be because, you know, like I, I wasn't a big Verdell Jones fan until after he graduated. Then I realized yeah. what he did. And then you get, look back as a, you know, there's two separate things with me, Jared, the coach and then the fan. Yeah. Um, and, and the fan gets mad at some plays that Justin does. And I, I think he dogs it a little bit and I don't think he's as motivated. Uh, the coach in me knows that you got to maximize everyone on your player. And so maybe um, the, the trying to find good and Justin and realize that and not being fair is a, more of a coach statement. Cause you want to try to find the best in everyone and put them in positions to succeed as a fan. He drives me nuts. Yeah. You know, when I'm in my man cave and, and watching as a fan screaming, yelling, he drives me a lot more nuts than any player in the last, you know, five or six years. But um, and that's what I mean by being fair. Um, yeah, no, that's, that's he fair. For, he stayed four years, or he will stay four years, hopefully, you know, with, with his NBA stuff. Um, and he's with, weathered some tough times. So, um, you know, you, you do – I have to step back and give credit. Like, I don't think I fairly did as a fan for Verdell Jones. That, I think that's the best explanation I can give you. Yeah, and it's, you know, there's a, there's a burden that, you know, big good athletes you know guys who have that four-star rating they're just there is more expected of them and that kind of sets a certain expectation and i mean i agree you know i think you see some of the times where he doesn't run as hard down the floor as you want and he doesn't give you some of the trappings of hard work that you would like to see although you know logically you know the guy's you know he's graduated he's a great student he obviously works hard in the weight room like he does you know he clearly works hard intellectually to understand things like that that's the one thing I think I've gained more of an appreciation for just in talking to some people who, you know, I think have talked to the staff about the value he brings defensively in terms of the one guy that's always where he's supposed to be. Like, even though, like, he'll sometimes get beat, you know, and he's maybe not playing as hard as you want, but he's where he's supposed to be, which has been really valuable for a new defense. And that's why he's played so many minutes, you know, and his career would be so much, you know, and obviously we're going to do his player breakdown at some point, but you know, if, if his shooting had gone differently and some of the mechanical adjustments that he's tried to make to his shot and those kinds of things, you know, that, and the, I think the confidence that maybe he hasn't had from that has just really hurt his offense, you know? And I, like, you can kind of see the player he envisions himself as being. And when he gets on the court in games, it just doesn't happen. And you kind of see some of those drives into the basket that maybe feel like frustration drives. Like, you know, I want to produce something offensively. Where, to, you know, we look at the stats and it's like, dude, Justin, offensive rebounds, cuts, transition. Like, you're great at that stuff. Just focus on that. But, you know, if you see yourself as a guy who can do more things, it's hard to not be able to do that in games. So, you when know. you have a player like Justin, too, and you have rosters that aren't, um, you know, top to bottom the way you want them, you got to play them more because of yeah. what they bring. The, the interesting thing when you have a roster of guys, you know, and I don't know that this year will be that situation because I still think Justin as a senior is going to be a lot better than incoming freshmen. Um, but maybe minutes, you know, can be uh, used a little bit to, to get him there. But that doesn't absolve him from not playing hard every position or, or hanging his head if he's having a bad offensive day. Those things I st I'll still point out. Yeah. Uh, but but I 
you know, the more I'm around, you know, the social media stuff and all this stuff too, is I think we, a big thing for me is to moderate expectations and to be relatively fair. These are college kids doing something for our university. Uh, I want to try to remember that and, and still be fair in, in any criticisms, but I, I prefer Al over Justin, uh, even with all that being said, I just give me a, give me a, you know, a gym rat any day, uh, that I think it really means something to Al from, from at least what I've experienced, not being in the gym with him. And I think the the hard thing about it, Justin, is I mean he's in he's different than Devante for sure. But one of the things is just the inconsistency from uh, you know game to game, where he might be really locked in at different times, and the range of the peak of him and the valley of him is, is probably more along the lines of yeah. what a Devante is. Where we've said the same things about Al being inconsistent, but the difference between the top and the bottom isn't the same, and so he tends to kind of yeah. trudge along this, you know, shorter path of, uh, of, you know, growth and and going up. And you see, Justin's probably grown just as much and done, you know, made improvements in areas. And when we look at him, we'll probably find some things that hey, he's really gotten better at these things. I think, you know, this last year you saw fewer of the just kind of wild drives into the lane without a true idea of what he wanted to do. Um, and so you see some of that, but your path to getting up is like this versus Al's is like, it still goes up a little bit, but it's the, the, the variance is less pronounced between the, the peak and the, in the Valley. Yeah, it's well said. Him and Troy are somewhat similar, you know, but I, I never Troy, you know, you have good Troy, bad Troy and his wild, crazy stuff either, but I don't ever remember sitting back thinking, Troy didn't go a hundred percent. Sometimes he needed maybe to, dial sometimes it back. that was to his detriment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he, he needed to dial it back. And I think that's the difference. Maybe uh, I don't, again, is that fair or not? Um, but, um, it, you know, and it's interesting. We all love Joey Brunk and, and he, he has some issues on the court, but we love him because of his effort and attitude and everyone loves race Thompson again for similar things. You know, how many times can you tip a basketball, get an offensive rebound and, and, and you know, man, we, we like that stuff and I don't apologize for liking that stuff. And, um, I think we miss a little bit of that when Justin does it, uh, because of the, the reputation has been set to be honest. Yeah. But you know, the- he won some games for us the way he played, uh, oh, Michigan, Michigan state, state, Justin. State yeah. Or you, yeah. You know, <laughs> Penn um, state. He was great against Penn that's state. Where, that's where the fair statement comes. Cause sometimes man, we forget those times when he was really good and we didn't, you know, but you know, every player has a chance to change their narrative. You know, and so every season, so that'll that those guys have a chance to do it. So hopefully they are able to use that opportunity. All right, let's. Uh... The news on flavored e-cigs talks a lot about the technology and teen use, but parents need to know more about the dangers of nicotine. So know this: one, nicotine is one of the most toxic of all poisons. Two, kids are more at risk for developing addiction. Three. A nicotine addiction can make it easier for kids to get addicted to other drugs. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org for more. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. This is Deron Davis. And what's the only thing better than dominating a dude big man in the post? It's celebrated with friends afterwards. 
Join Gerard, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on the Assembly Hall call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosiers. I love Deron Davis. Welcome back to the Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and the coach Brian Tonsoni. Remember that you need to be subscribed to our email newsletter. We send out a weekly IU News Roundup even during the offseason. After every game, we send out a detailed postgame analysis. Just text IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. That's IU to 66866 or go to assemblycall.com. All right, time now for the mailbag. All of these questions were submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community, which you can learn more about and join at assemblycall.com slash community, or they were submitted, you know, by whatever random way that Jay wants to submit his question. Sometimes it's Twitter five minutes before. Sometimes he slips it into the chat mob. Sometimes he sends it by email, but he gets it in, and so he gets theme music. It's not that good, but it's not that bad. It's Jay's Mediocre Question. All right. So Jay's mediocre question, and this is a true Jay special. He likes to do over-unders. And so he gave us a series of Al Durham over-unders. We'll do one, maybe two of them right now, then we'll save the rest of them for our chat mob induction uh, after this. Radio listeners, you can go watch the YouTube version if you want to see the chat mob induction with the president of the Al Durham fan club. Uh, But let's do points for Al Durham. Last season, Al scored 9.8. This season, Jay has set the over-under at 11.5. That's a that's a strong over under. I like where he put that number. Uh, Andy, are you taking the over or the under on Al at eleven and a half points per game? I do want to give Jay some credit. The question was submitted well in advance of the show this time. That's so, true. <laughs> true. Compared to how some of the times have been uh, in in his defense, uh, I, I'd probably take the under. I I think it does increase, and I could see Al being a double digit guy this year. I just don't know that it jumps based on some of the factors that we talked about. I'm not sure it jumps two points per game. Uh, essentially from where he was this year. So I'll I'll take the under, but I do think it improves over where he was this year. Yeah, I think if you're looking at any of the previous rosters, I think Al is up there, but I just that's a little bit too big of a jump with how many mouths there are to feed. I think he'll be in double digits, but I don't think it's going to go quite that high. Coach, what do you think? Yeah, I'm going to take the under, and yet he'll have a better senior year than any of the three years before, again, because of usage rates maybe dropping or or shots dropping, but I think he'll be more effective and maybe, you know, 10 and a half, 11 per game. I don't think he needs that responsibility of scoring that we've put on other players as they've gotten to their senior year uh, to move up to the 14-15 need. I don't think we need that from him. We need maybe 10, 11, and we'll get it. I think the I think the avenue to if it was going to happen I think the avenue to get there is this team playing faster. And Archie's talked about that Lander could potentially do that so maybe that accelerates things enough to get there but I think if there's it's something outside of injury to somebody else I think what helps you get there is potentially playing at a, a quicker tempo. Okay, so we got some other good ones. Let's save those for post-show because there's a couple other questions that I want to get to. Coach, you did a nice video breakdown of Christian Lander inside of the community uh, in your latest Coach's Corner. So let me start with you for this question from Patrick. Is there a player that Archie has coached before at Dayton or IU that resembles Lander and how he may use Lander? The first guy that came to mind for me, thinking back to the Dayton days, is Scoochie Smith, but they're totally different players, but it's really just like competent ball handler who can create you know and make a three so that that was really the only guy that came to mind because i don't feel like we've had one at indiana since he's been here 
Man, my boys and I loved watching that Dayton team and yelling scoochie every time he made a move. But what you will see, Jared, is if you go back and watch those Dayton teams, they did play with a lot more pace than he's been able to get Indiana to play with. And I think that's Lander Despite and Rob. waving his arm every yeah. possession. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and they they just they look good at doing it and, and were able to, to win some games. I think – Lander will be at least like Rob was his freshman year. Rob came in and we didn't we thought he would be a backup point guard and get 14 15 minutes a game and he beat out Devonte Green in the preseason and had a, a really good run and when he got hurt really set Indiana backwards cuz we needed Rob. I think Lander is at least that if not better uh this season. Hmm. Andy, any other comps come to mind for you? No, I, I did kind of what you did, and I reverted to Scoochie Smith, although when you look, really, he came in as more of a combo guard. Even what I'm looking at said he was listed as a shooting guard, ranked in the you know 133rd according to the 24-7 page I'm looking at. So I think what you don't know is you know a guy coming in with that recruiting pedigree, ranking, all those kinds of things. He certainly hasn't had anybody like that, so how he might use him will be interesting. But boy, you look back at Scoochie Smith's numbers his senior year, uh, he had a usage rate of uh, 23, 23%, assist rate almost at 30%, shot 38% from three, 53% from two, got to the line, a free throw rate of like 40 and an overall offensive rating of 113. So Sign me up. Yeah. Yeah, if you told me we'd get that from a guy much Let's higher go. rated. Now, granted, that's a you know for his fourth year in the system. So how do you, how you eventually get to that point? But um, yeah, that was the only comparison I could think of of a guy that Archie coached. But just again, recruiting pedigree is not even near uh, what it was uh, what it is for Lander. I did see someone in the chat mob say that Lander will be like Isaiah Thomas. So glad to see they're handling his uh, his reclassification responsibly. Well done, well done in their chat mob, keeping the expectations low. Uh, <laughs> um, let's see. Let's hit this one from Kent because uh, he sent a bunch of these questions over before and we haven't had a chance to get them. Um, and these really probably would have been time better after the rewatch series. But he wants to know what was Coach Knight's biggest strength as a college basketball coach? Coach, why don't you hit this one first? Take about 30 seconds and then go, Andy. He, I, I, it's it's going to be – he was great defensively and he was great with his motion offense. It was so hard to guard and he maximized players' ability – you know, you talk about your guy, Calbert Chaney, in, in that motion offense. You know, I've studied it. I've watched it. I've gone to see his clinics. Just just absolute technician in the game. I think for, for me, in addition to what Coach said, as we watched, did some of those rewatch games, it was just some of the adjustments to be able to find matchups that you could use that offense to take advantage of. Um and just being able to game plan, yeah. Everybody throws out the UNLV game, so I'll do I'll do that as well. But you know, not being afraid to go out and and run with them, seeing that as a, a viable strategy to be able to to you know beat a team like that. Uh, I think just you know, kind of game planning, finding those weaknesses and what you could exploit, and then executing on that in the game. Yeah, and to that I would just add just his absolute genius as a basketball coach, his aptitude, because all of the psychological warfare that he did and all the being harsh. Players put up with that because they knew he was a great coach and would put him in a position to succeed. You're not going to get the second part without the first. So that, to me, was his his greatest strength. All right, we got to go. Uh, that's going to do it for us on this week's episode of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com or text IU to 66866 to join our free email newsletter. Special thank you to Bob Thompson for producing most of the music that you hear on the show. And thank you for listening. We will talk to you again on Thursday night. Until then. Take it from the green light himself. 
Keep your elbows in, eyes on the rim, and go Hoosiers. Thank everybody for coming out. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. I don't like carrots. <laughs> Right. I've been re- Devontae does that so fast. It messes up my timing. I've been I've been rewatching uh Cheers and the first uh year they have that coach bartender and now I know how everyone sees me as as the, <laughs> as that guy he, he didn't know much but he was good for a line or two. I think that's that's the role I fit. All right, so Joel, I sent Joel the link, so hopefully he will be uh hopping in here. The president of the Al Durham fan club. Um I'm look we have to just give a coach. I think we should probably give a disclaimer right up front that we are not responsible for anything that Joel might say while he, while he is on here. Absolutely not. <laughs> so just, you know, put the women and children to bed. This is truly AC after dark, uh, right now. Um, or it will be when Joel gets here, but let's, um, while we're, uh, while we're waiting on Joel, let's start hitting some of these other Al Durham over unders. Cause we got to go on record here. So Jay can, you know, bring up all the ones that we miss uh, at the end of the season, which he does like to do. Uh, minutes played for Al over under sixty nine point five percent. Last season it was sixty six percent. What do under. you think, Coach? <clears throat> under. Yeah, I, I just think there's a lot more depth and, and and talent on this roster, and that doesn't mean it's not valuable minutes. It's just going to be different levels of minutes. Yeah, Andy. You're muted, Andy. I well, I was saying that I was struggling with this over under. I was also apparently struggling to use the equipment that I've been provided. But um, I I don't know. I'm gonna go. I I'll go slightly over on that one. Really? I, you think he's gonna play seventy percent of the minutes? That's a lot of minutes. Yeah, man. Yeah, you do the math on that. I don't know. Maybe I will go under. You can talk me out of it. You're probably talking me out of it. So then you can be the only one to take the over, and then like. Stick it to us after the fact. No, I'm not. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm just I would not. Do um, that. I don't yeah, think Jay I, said a very good over under on that one. Actually, I don't think that was a good number. I think that I, I don't. How are you going to justify him playing seventy percent of the minutes with the only way that's happening is if you have injuries. I think because there's just there's yeah. too many other lineup I, combinations. Yeah. All right. I'll, all right. I'll take. I'll. I'll go under on that then. I mean, I don't want to talk you out of it. If you. Well, I mean, <laughs> you like, clearly did. So. <laughs> That's true. Not like I was a math major, but starting to do the math on that, then I was like, yeah, maybe that's not. Maybe that's let me not. just let me just keep my mouth shut here. And uh, now this is an interesting one: three point attempts. So Jay set the over under at one fifteen point five. Last season, Al took ninety four, and I believe his sophomore season he took like close to one hundred and fifteen. Let me get like the he number. One hundred. Yeah, he took exactly one hundred fifteen. Yeah, and a lot of that he took like twenty seven in the three nit games when they were basically when Romeo was out and he and Devonte were just chucking threes left <laughs> and right. Um, so that's an interesting number. I think th- this is a really good one that he set. I think <sighs> he did. He did take in the three nit games. He took twenty one. Yeah, you know. I think now look, obviously some of this is going to depend on how many games Indiana plays. And I think Indiana's going to play a lot of games um because I think they're going to, you know, do some things in tournaments. So I'm going to go over not just because of the volume of games, but I just think because of the way the offense is and with more guys to create, the focus on trace down low, I mean, I just think Al's going to find openings. And I think he'll be a little bit smarter. He showed it last year, smarter at 
using screens, smarter at you know picking the open spots in the defense. So I think he's going to get more opportunities um, and be ready to take them. So I'm going over. I'll go over on that one too. Man, are we going to disagree I, on any of these? No, I, I, I think it's over. That's where Devontae's usage, I think, goes more <clears throat> to L. I think Hunter will get some of those threes. That's a lot of threes to take from – I'm not sure. Lander will take some and Rob will take some, but I, I really see see that going back towards L. Okay, yeah, it's it. Joel has the link. It's on Twitter, so hopefully he'll uh, he'll be here. He's probably refilling the bourbon glass, you know, getting getting himself ready to go here. Um, <clears throat> Dude, that, that glass gets refilled a lot at the tailgates. <laughs> let's see here. Three point percentage last season. Al shot thirty eight point three percent over under thirty seven point five percent. I'll take the over. I don't see him. I think he gets probably will end up getting better shots this year. So I'm gonna say over on that. Hmm. I say over too. Really, I'm going under because I think he's gonna take more. And I think I think that number should dip a little bit. Like I, I think Al can still be efficient making thirty six, thirty seven percent of his threes. And so I, you know, I won't be upset. He can still be a more productive player if his volume is a little bit higher, even if the percentage goes down a little bit. So now look, this flies in the face of him improving his three point percentage every season. But I think this is the year where you know, I, like I said, I think the the volume is going to go up with the amount of attempts. So I think we'll see the percentage go down just a bit. But not enough to where you're like, man, Al's slumping this year. He's going to still be more productive as a three point. He's going to get cleaner threes too from the yeah. the penetration from the guards. See, that was that was my thought. I figure I said that enough times on the show that he, I thought he was going to get better looks. That I I feel compelled to to definitely say he'll shoot better. Yeah. Um. Hey, I'm not a hater. But Richie's saying I'm a hater. I'm who am I, who am I a hater? Am I a hater on Joel or am I a hater on Al? I'm no. I'm no hater. You know, look, I mean, Al jump, he's jumped up 28.6% to 34.8 to 38.3. I'm here. I'm, those are big jumps. Well, yeah, but where's your video? Finally. I don't know where my video is. Well, we got to get video. Well, how about that? Hey! hey! <laughs> Looky there. You're trying to slip on this show without video. Come on now. Yeah, well, I'm not, I'm really not made for video. I'm a lot like This coach. is true, Joel. This is true. You and I, the, this right side yeah. of my, Gallery view is struggling over here with you and I. <laughs> well, the the, the camera adds a hundred pounds to me, so uh, yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, man. It is uh, no it's problem. good. It's good to see you. It is. Thanks. It is Appreciate good to it. see you. So, the tobacco industry's menthol targeting is straight up racist, and not that watered down type of racist. What do they call it? Unconscious bias? No, not unconscious. Intentional. I mean that flooding our communities with ads, killing us by the thousands, and laughing all the way to the bank type of racist. They are literally killing us. This ends now at wearenotprofit.org. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. The Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player five. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.